This episode contains descriptions of child abuse. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. The following is an excerpt from Henry James's Owen Wingrave, in which the title character describes the atmosphere of his family estate. Oh, the house, the very air and feeling of it. There are strange voices in it that seem to mutter at me, to say dreadful things as I pass. The very portraits glower at me on the walls. There's one of my great-great-grandfather that fairly stirs on the canvas, just heaves a little when I come near it. I have to go up and down stairs. It's rather awkward. It's what my aunt calls the family circle. It's all constituted here. It's a kind of indestructible presence. It stretches away into the past. Hi, everyone. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Barcast. Ghost stories have arisen from every century and every corner of the world, from the streets of Victorian Whitechapel to the temples of Japan. Whether seated around the campfire or curled up with a pair of headphones, we return to them time and again to feel our skin crawl and our hearts race. Episodes of Ghost Stories are inspired by classic short stories from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's story, Owen Wingrave, was first published in 1892 and comes from the American writer Henry James. James is best known for his gothic novella, The Turn of the Screw, which is either one of history's greatest ghost stories or one of its greatest works of psychological fiction, depending on who you ask. This is because James's stories often suggest that ghosts aren't just fueled by the crimes of the past, but by the guilt and secrets of the present. But just because the spirits that plague us might be all in our heads doesn't mean they're harmless. After all, a haunted mind is a very dangerous place. I will be telling today's tale as Spencer Coyle, a British tutor who prepares young men for entry into prestigious military institutions, namely the British Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst. When Coyle's favorite pupil, Owen Wingrave, wants to quit his military endeavors, Coyle heads to the young man's family estate to bring him back into the fold. Little does he know, however, that Owen has reasons to fear the military, his home, and his family. And only some of those reasons are alive. Coming up, we'll meet a troubled young soldier. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. In my 15 years of teaching men how to be soldiers, I've never had a student like Owen Wingrave. Many men possess either the intelligence or fitness to be a soldier, but few have a fine-tuned sense of discipline. My tutelage is for those who can only manage two of the three. Owen has been a delightful exception. His mind is razor-sharp. He has a level of body awareness that keeps him safe from even the most dogged enemies. And Owen never leaves a man behind. And perhaps it was no wonder. He came from a prestigious military family after all, the descendant of a long line of proud soldiers. So, as Owen sat in my office and told me that he was dropping out of his studies, I could do very little besides open my mouth like a fish on land. My prized pupil didn't see the benefit in being a soldier and no argument of patriotism or valor could persuade him. That didn't stop me from trying. If you're frightened, Owen, please understand that the crown will take care of you, and your deeds will be honored always. I knew this to be true, for I'd lost my left arm in the Boer War of South Africa, but the Prime Minister put a stop to the fighting when he saw that the potential casualties were too high. Owen gave a knowing nod. I respect your sacrifice, Colonel, truly, but any government that allows such pain to occur should be torn to pieces, especially when they bring that pain to a land that is not our own. I can no longer ignore the immeasurable misery of it all. He was so polite in his opposition that I almost didn't know what to say. Owen, this is your family's legacy. You can't throw away all of their work as well. I watched his knuckles turn white as he gripped the arms of his chair. I'm prepared for that fight, he said grimly. I got the sense from his haunted expression and clipped words that his family was a stronger influence than I or the Queen could ever hope to be. I strengthened my attack. A legacy is nothing without someone to carry it forward. Your great-great-grandfather's valor is borne out in your future as a soldier. Owen nodded. Be that as it may, I am prepared to talk it through with him. I pictured the stoic young man arguing with a stone grave. Owen was well-spoken, but even he couldn't debate a corpse. I pleaded, go see your aunt. 
If she can't convince you to stay, I'll plan your farewell party myself. We both knew what I was suggesting. The boy's aunt, Miss Jane Wingrave, was his last living relative after the death of Owen's troubled elder brother. Owen's father had fallen on the Afghan front when Owen was a child, and his mother had died in India while attempting to give birth to her third son. Jane Wingrave had taken Owen in ever since and raised him as her ward. Miss Wingrave was incredibly proud of her family's military heritage, almost obscenely so. Of all my pupil's guardians, she was by far the fiercest, and perhaps the strangest. She would not take Owen's decision to abandon the Wingrave legacy lightly, if she would take it at all. But Owen didn't seem worried. In fact, he agreed. He would visit his aunt and announce his decision to her as I suggested. After all, she would have to find out one way or another. Owen got up from his chair and paused at the door with a half-hearted smile. In that moment, I got a feeling as if I might be seeing him for the last time. A silly notion, as he was only traveling mere hours away. But it felt like something had changed in him. He spoke softly. Thank you for your training. You've given me the skills I need to win. But it didn't feel like a victory to me when Owen was using those same skills to leave our shared calling behind. I spent the next few days waiting for his letters. I was harder on my students than I needed to be, but my nerves were stretched thin. I've never been a godly man, but I prayed every night that Miss Wingrave would talk sense into our boy Owen. A week and a half later, my wife and I were sent an embossed invitation. Our presence was requested at Paramore, the Wingrave ancestral home to which Owen had returned. Mrs. Coyle and I had been to several opulent gatherings at our students' palatial abodes, but I'd never been invited to Paramore before. I tried not to take it personally. Despite all their pride, the Wingraves seemed a very private family, but I was unusually eager to go. My wife packed like we'd be gone for months, even though we were due back in London in three days. It was a beautiful spring, and though it was a stretch in the budget, I hired an open-air cab so we could see the countryside as we traveled. The rolling green was perfectly pastoral, and the sheep we passed were as white and puffy as the clouds above them. But when we reached the stone sign that said, Paramore, things immediately began to change. The hills closed inward, the green grass turned gray and thick, looming trees swallowed up the sun. Mrs. Coyle looked unnerved, so I tried to distract her. Well, dear, I imagine it's remarkably cool here, even in the dead of summer. She didn't respond, as she was struck silent by the sight up ahead. The woods opened out into a wide field and on what looked like a driveway that stretched on for miles. Owen had told me that when he was young, he'd run down the path to greet his father after his triumphant returns home from abroad. But it was difficult to imagine little Owen making it even a third of the way down this never-ending stretch without collapsing. But what was more jarring was the house 
that waited at its end. It looked almost out of place, as if from a fantasy. Not the stuff of children's tales, but perhaps tales of a different kind. I could tell that it was once a beautiful home made grey with age. Soot and ivy clung to the structure, sucking away the life from its stone, and the windows drooped like a child's frown. It was difficult to imagine Owen, the compassionate, lively young soldier, flourishing here. Instead, I now saw him more like a dandelion, growing through the cracks in the cold rock as best he could. Mrs. Coyle remarked that the house looked drafty, and commended herself on packing so thoroughly. The horses came to an abrupt stop halfway down the drive. I leaned forward to the driver, who seemed as ill at ease as I was. Can we get a move on, old chap? The driver said this had never happened before. His mares were not easily spooked, but they'd obviously never been to Paramore. I had no intention of walking the half mile to the front, so I was resigned to wait for them to overcome whatever fear of badly trimmed foliage they developed. Mrs. Coyle nudged me. Look up, dear, the top window of the house. I looked. There was a man staring straight at us. His white hair stood up on ends, and from this distance, he looked as pale as the stone around the window. Then he backed up from the window, and disappeared in the darkness of the room. I strained my eyes, but couldn't see the old man any longer. Just then. The driver nudged the horses, but they refused to move forward. Instead, they bucked in the air, and I put my hand out to hold my dear wife in place. The luggage trunk weighed down the back, and we were on the verge of tipping over. Mrs. Coyle screwed her eyes shut, and I held her tight. The driver tugged harder on the reins, and the horses dropped with a thump that sent our luggage into the air for a moment. Then the beasts took off. At a dizzying pace, the driver wrestled with the reins. Ever the teacher, I did my best to encourage him, but I could not make myself heard over the chaos. The horses stopped abruptly at the front of the home, still struggling against their master's reins. Whatever had spooked them at the gate carried all the way to the house, like it had followed us. Just then, Owen walked up to our carriage. And his steadying presence quieted the horse's panic. I was first struck by the suddenness by which he'd appeared. I looked to the house to see if there was any hidden servant's door I hadn't noticed, but then I was shocked by a much more disturbing observation. When I'd last seen Owen, less than two weeks ago, he looked the peak of health. No one would find a younger or more cheerful seventeen-year-old in the academy. But that young man was not the same one standing in front of me. His once dark hair now seemed flecked with silver, and his skin was papery and pale, with dark purple half moons beneath his bloodshot eyes. There was a pain in his expression that was new. It was as if he'd been to war and back in the last week and a half. As he opened his mouth, a scream came from behind him. A woman about his age rushed out, held a rolling pin in the air, and threatened to beat him. I couldn't believe that anyone would have such gall around a man like Owen. 
It was only when I saw the two of them side by side that I realized Owen's shirt sleeves were tinged red. So was the woman's pale dress. They were both covered in blood. Before I could ask what the matter was, Owen gave a small bow and said, I wish I could say I was happy to see you. Welcome to Paramore. Up next, Coyle discovers the Wingrave family's secrets go deeper than blood. Hi listeners, it's Carter from ParCast, and I am thrilled to tell you about a new limited series I'm posting just in time for Father's Day. It's called Devious Dads, and it introduces you to some of the most feared, fraudulent, and fatal fathers in history. Every Sunday on Spotify, discover the men who started out as role models and ended up becoming real-life criminals. Like Wall Street financier Bernie Madoff, whose billion-dollar Ponzi scheme destroyed countless families, including his own. Or Marvin Gaye Sr., whose envy and resentment towards his son's successful music career drove him to murder. Each episode of Devious Dads has been handpicked from shows across the ParCast network, shining a light on the men who are far more wicked than wise. This summer, catch a glimpse of the frightening side of fatherhood. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Devious Dads. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. I was dismayed when my favorite pupil, Owen Wingrave, decided to abandon his family's military legacy. But it was my duty to set him back on the right path, and apparently his formidable aunt, Jane Wingrave, agreed. I received an invitation from Jane to the Wingrave's ancestral home, the Paramore Estate. So I traveled there with my wife, hoping to change Owen's mind. But now that the young man stood before me, It was clear he'd undergone some sort of trauma since coming home. His hair was shot with grey, and his shirt was covered in blood. And yet, he was as stoic as ever. He made formal introductions to the similarly blood-stained young housekeeper, Miss Kate Julian, as though there was nothing amiss. I helped my wife, Mrs. Coyle, down from the carriage and asked Owen what had happened. He looked down at himself, as though he'd only just realized the mess. My grandfather is ill. I thought the man was dead, but I must have gotten my information wrong. My wife glanced at the house's gray roof. Was that him watching us from the window? Owen hesitated before muttering, in a manner of speaking. All the confidence from his training had vanished. 
He was like a stranger as he nervously glanced at the house and struggled to keep up with pleasantries. Mrs. Coyle shook her head. Poor boy, you look exhausted. Show me to the kitchen and I'll make you some soup. Owen replied a bit too quickly. Nonsense, your guests. Kate will handle it. The maid looked like she didn't much enjoy handling anything, but she nodded. Mrs. Coyle sensed my concern. She whispered that I could continue my interrogation indoors, looped her arm in mine, and pulled me inside the house. A wind moved through the place like it was sighing. As my wife predicted, it was quite drafty. She shot me a slight smirk, but she was soon distracted by the strange, deathly beauty of Paramore. The entryway was almost as tall as a cathedral, and the walls were lined with portraits and tapestries that seemed to date back to Charlemagne's age. It seemed every scrap of fabric in the place was black. This seemed strange, considering Owen's grandfather was apparently still alive, but perhaps they were in mourning for someone else. I wanted to ask if anyone had passed recently, but I wasn't sure I could trust the boy's answer. Miss Kate told us to follow her up the staircase. It groaned under our weight, but she assured us, Don't you worry. People have fallen through a handful at times, but none since I was put in charge. I wouldn't stand for it. (laughs) Or fall for it. (laughs) My wife thanked her in her usual warm tone, then asked when the young woman had taken up her post, as she seemed to be not much older than Owen. Kate offered a very teenage sigh. Oh, it's inherited. My mum's a friend of the family, and my father was Owen's father's valet in Afghanistan, and so I've taken up the job. But Miss Wingrave says we'll have full staff soon, so I suppose I won't be at it much longer. I wondered why Miss Wingrave thought she could finance the full staff of a house like this. Her only potential source of income was Owen, and he was leaving his career behind. Miss Wingrave must have been very confident in her ability to change her nephew's mind. We reached the first door at the top of the hall. Kate pushed her weight against it until it opened. A ragged moan came from down the hall, and my wife let out a small gasp. Kate rolled her eyes. Old house, you know how it is. She showed us our room, which was absurd in scale as the home's grand foyer. Mrs. Coyle unpacked, while I wandered down the hall in search of that strange moan. I heard it every now and then. Perhaps it was simply a sign of an old house, like Miss Kate said, but it varied in volume and distance in a most irregular way. The physics made no sense at all, so I began to press my ear to the wall panelling, hoping that Miss Kate would not catch me in the act. I was struck by the eerie, complete silence of the house. There were draughts and creaks, but the emptiness of the pauses between them was far more unnerving than the phantom cries. Well, they were, until I heard a very loud phantom cry. The outburst was followed by the softest whimpers. I strained my ears to follow the sound down the hall until I found its source. 
four doors down from our room was a door like the others, and yet it seemed less weathered, more pristine. The bronze doorknob was unsmudged as if it hadn't been used in years. A small beam of bright white light glowed from the keyhole like there was a big window inside. I heard the voice within, but I couldn't get the door to open. I called out to the person in the room, asking what they needed. No response came. Embarrassed, I retreated back to my room. I asked Mrs. Coyle if she'd heard the same cry, but she hadn't. I assumed the peculiarities of the place were getting to me. My mind wanted a way to explain Owen's sad, odd behavior, so it had conjured one up. My wife asked me to lay down with her to calm her nerves, though I suspect she knew it was I who needed reassurance. She always knew. We fell asleep, wrapped in each other's arms, and woke up to a sharp rap at the door. It was dinner time. The lack of staff meant that Miss Kate, the housekeeper, ate along with the family. She and Owen sat opposite each other near the head of the table, with a black velvet seat between them set for the lady of the house. I sat by Owen, who now wore a fresh shirt, clean of the blood that had stained his clothes earlier that day. He seemed hazy and distant, but I couldn't help but whisper questions. I asked him about the strange moan in the hall and his peculiar state. What had happened? I asked him. Why had he been covered in bloodstains? Owen looked like he was about to open up when the dining room doors did instead. In swept Miss Jane Wingrave, wearing not the funeral black I expected, but a deep shade of purple. She held her hand out for me to kiss, and I politely obliged. But when she did the same to Owen, he turned away. Her eyebrow quivered in displeasure before she took a seat. I'd warned Mrs. Coyle that it was best to let Miss Wingrave guide the dinner conversation, and, bless my wife, she did try to contain herself. But Miss Wingrave and Miss Kate started in on Owen almost immediately, saying how glad they were to have me here to show him what he was throwing away. Miss Wingrave added, as if the hundreds of years of family portraits here weren't enough of a reminder. Mrs. Coyle took the opportunity to redirect the conversation. They are beautiful portraits. That one in the hall looks so much like Owen. I expected Miss Wingrave to light up at the prospect of discussing family history, but she was strangely tight-lipped. Yes, that's Owen's great-great-grandfather. A strong commander, if, uh, troubled. An uncomfortable silence descended upon the room. After a moment, I cleared my throat and asked about the cry for help I'd heard down the hall. Was that Owen's grandfather, perhaps? Owen mentioned he was quite ill. Owen's fork dropped from his hand onto his porcelain plate. Miss Wingrave glared at him then shook her head. No, I'm certain it was just the house. People hear all sorts of sounds here, Colonel. Kate added helpfully, Cries for help were common in the house at one point. Owen's brother was very fond of them. Miss Wingrave gave her a sharp look. Philip was quite ill. 
We sent him away years ago, but Kate here has forgotten her manners. She seems to be making up tales to make you uncomfortable. I must apologize. I'm afraid we don't receive many guests here at Paramore. You are a bit of a novelty. Mrs. Coyle remarked that of all things, she'd prefer to be a novelty. But Miss Wingrave ignored her and instead turned to me to thank me for my service against the Boers. I nodded respectfully, but when she brought up my war days twice more at dinner, each time made me increasingly uncomfortable. She poked Owen's shoulder. You see, you could be just like Colonel Coyle, only better, of course. Owen's discomfort radiated off him like a hot iron, and he watched me so intently. I was there to agree with his aunt, but now I didn't know if that was the best way to help. Luckily, Mrs. Coyle stepped in. I, for one, am very excited to see what future Owen chooses for himself. I often wonder what kind of man my husband would be if he hadn't become a soldier. I glanced down at my empty sleeve and joked, a better dance partner, perhaps. Mrs. Coyle insisted that I waltz more beautifully than any man ever had. Her quiet faith in me allowed me to withstand the rest of that dreadful dinner. Mrs. Coyle was strangely silent as I helped her remove her jewelry before bed. When I asked her what was wrong, she considered me before saying, I care very deeply about that boy and you, and I want you to know that you are exactly as I would have you in every way. But I wish you felt that you had had a choice in the matter. In your service, I mean. And Owen has that. Or he should. I didn't know what to say, so I said what I usually said. You're right, Bess, as always. She smiled at me, but the glow didn't quite reach her eyes. I felt the same way. I was miserable for Owen, and this misery made me question myself. Was it heroism to do exactly as you were told without a second thought? Where was the line between a good hero and a good soldier? I went to sleep that night with a troubled mind. The feeling reminded me of my days after I had retired from service when lashes of dead friends and unseen enemies would play out behind my eyelids. I knew to be wary of entering sleep in such a state, but the day had left me exhausted. I woke as the clock in the hallway chimed at midnight. At first, I assumed it was all the clanging that had awoken me. But then I heard the screams. I grabbed my robe and ran to the fourth door down the hall. The sound of a child's voice carried through the door. They were calling for help, choking through tears. To the best of my knowledge, there was no child in the house. But I did not have time to wonder, only to act. I jammed my shoulder into the door, but it would not give. I yelled to the child to stay calm. The next noise to come through the door was unmistakable. Someone was being hit. Anger gripped me. I had no doubt it must be Miss Wingrave. Who else would beat a child like that in this house? I rammed myself against the wood again. The child's sobs grew louder. As I threw myself against the door, I yelled that I would put a stop to whatever violence was happening. The sounds inside the room got louder. 
Each cry from that child was a dagger to my heart. I had done so little until this point. I had to get in. I had to hold this family accountable. The door bent underneath my force, forming a gap into the room, and I caught a glimpse of a child and a larger hand reaching for him. I screamed at the adult to stop, meaning to wake the whole house if I could. I pushed against the door again as the child screamed. I switched from my shoulder to my legs, kicking at the door in the middle where it seemed to be the weakest. Suddenly, I felt strong hands wrap around my torso. Owen was trying to drag me back from the room. It's not what it seems, Colonel. Please, listen to me. I ignored him and kicked out again. My student nearly hissed in my ear. It's just the white room. I'll explain, but you must stop, please. I pushed him hard enough to slam him into the doorframe. We both paused, rattled by the force of our scuffle. The sounds from the other side of the door had ceased. My heart dropped into my stomach. I begged the child to answer me, but there was only silence. I held Owen's gaze as I aimed one last good kick against the door. I will help the child, Owen, and then I will help you. I rammed the door again and the impact ripped a hole through its middle. I reached my hand through to unlock it and dashed inside. At the end of the white room was a large window that looked out over the grounds of the estate. Pale moonlight flooded the space, casting shadows on the ivory white walls. But the room itself was entirely, completely empty. There was no sign that anyone had been in there at all. I stood there in utter shock when my training kicked in. I drew myself up to my full height and gripped Owen's shoulder. Tell me what's going on in this house, Owen. That's an order. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with the conclusion of Henry James's Owen Wingrave. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Lil Ritter and Jennifer Roche, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Audriana Romero, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. Hey there, Carter again. As we close out, here's a reminder to check out my new ParCast limited series, Devious Dads. For 10 weeks, we're exposing the men who are far more flawed than fatherly, ruining anyone who stood in their way, even their own families. Follow Devious Dads free only on Spotify.